Chapter Ten of Lad, a Dog, by Albert Payson Terhune. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter Ten, The Killer. One of the jolliest moments in Lad's daily cross-country tramp with the mistress and the master was his dash up Mount Pisgah. This mount was little more than a foothill. It was treeless and covered with short grass and mullein, a slope where no crop but buckwheat could be expected to thrive. It rose out of the adjoining mountain forests in a long and sweeping ascent. Here, with no trees or undergrowth to impede him, Lad, from puppyhood, had ordained a race-course of his own. As he neared the hill, he would always dash forward at top speed, flying up the rise like a tawny whirlwind, at unabated pace, until he stopped, panting and gloriously excited on the summit, to await his slower, moving human escorts. One morning in early summer, Lad, as usual, bounded ahead of the mistress and the master, as they drew near to his treeless mount, and, as ever, he rushed gleefully forward for his daily breather, up the long slope. But, before he had gone fifty yards, he came to a scurrying halt, and stood at gaze. His back was bristling, and his lips curled back from his white teeth in sudden annoyance. His keen nostrils, even before his eyes told him something was amiss, with his cherished race-track. The eddying shift of the breeze, from west to north, had brought to his nose the odor which had checked his onrush, an odor that wakened all sorts of vaguely formless memories far back in Lad's brain, and which he did not at all care for. Scent is ten times stronger to a dog than is sight. The best dog is near-sighted, and the worst dog has a magic sense of smell wherefore a dog almost always uses his nose first and his eyes last which lad now proceeded to do above him was the pale green hillside up which he loved to gallop but its surface was no longer smoothly unencumbered instead it was dotted and starred singly or in groups with fluffy grayish-white creatures lad was almost abreast of the lowest group of sheep when he paused several of the feeding animals lifted their heads snortingly from the short herbage at sight of him and fled up the hill the rest of the flock joined them in the silly stampede the dog made no move to follow instead his forehead creased and his eyes troubled he stared after the gray-white surge that swept upward toward the summit of his favorite coursing ground. The mistress and the master, too, at sight of the woolly avalanche, stopped and stared. From over the brow of Mount Pisgah appeared the non-picturesque figure of a man in blue denim overalls, one Titus Romaine, owner of the sparse-grassed hill. Drawn by the noisy multiple patter of his flock's hoofs, he emerged from under a hilltop boulder's shade, to learn the cause of their flight. Now in all his life, Lad had seen sheep just once before. That one exception had been when Hamilcar, Q. Glore, 
the Wall Street farmer, had corralled a little herd of his prize merinos overnight at the place, on the way to the Patterson Livestock Show. On that occasion the sheep had broken from the corral, and Lad, acting on ancestral instinct, had rounded them up without injuring or scaring one of them. The memory was not pleasing to Lad, and he wanted nothing more to do with such stupid creatures. Indeed, as he looked now upon the sheep that were obstructing his run, he felt a distinct aversion to them. Whining a little, he trotted back to where stood the mistress and the master, and as they waited, Titus Romaine bore wrathfully down upon them. "'I've been expecting something like that,' announced the landowner, "'ever since I turned these critters out here this morning. "'I ain't surprised a bit. I—' "'What is it you've been expecting, Romaine?' asked the master. "'And how long have you been a sheep-raiser?' "'A sheep, here in the North Jersey hinterland, is as rare as—' "'I've been expecting some savage dog would be running em, retorted the farmer just like I've read they do. And now I've caught him at it. Caught whom? At what? queried the perplexed mistress, failing to note the man's baleful glower at the contemptuous lad. That big, ugly brute of yourn, of course, declared Romaine. I caught him, red-handed, running my sheep. He— Lad did nothing of the kind, denied the mistress. The instant he caught sight of them, he stopped running. Lad wouldn't hurt anything that is weak and helpless. Your sheep saw him, and they ran away. He didn't follow them an inch. "'I seen what I seen,' cryptically answered the man. "'And I give you fair warning. If any of my sheep is killed, I'll know right where to come to look for the killer.' "'If you mean Lad,' began the master hotly, but the mistress intervened. "'I am glad you have decided to raise sheep, Mr. Romaine,' she said. "'Everyone ought to, who can. I read only the other day that America is using up more sheep than it can breed, and that the price of fodder and the scarcity of pasture were doing terrible things to the mutton and wool supply. I hope you'll have all sorts of good luck, and you are wise to watch your sheep so closely.' but don't be afraid of Lad harming any of them. He wouldn't for worlds, I know, because I know Lad. Come along, Laddie. She finished as she turned to go away. But Titus Romaine stopped her. I've put a sight of money into this flock of sheep, he declared, more'n I could really afford. And I've been reading up on sheep, too. I've been reading that the worst enemy to sheep is predatory dogs. And if that big dog of yourn ain't predatory, then I never seen one that was. So I'm warning you, fair. If your sheep come to any harm, Mr. Romaine, returned the mistress, again forestalling an untactful outbreak from her husband, I'll guarantee Lad will have nothing to do with it. And I'll guarantee to have him shot and have you folks up in court if he does, chivalrously retorted Mr. Titus Romaine. With which exchange of good fellowship the two groups parted, Romaine returning to his scattered sheep, while the mistress, lad at her heels, lured the master away from the field of encounter. The master was fuming. 
Here's where's good old Mr. Trouble drops in on us for a nice long visit, he grumbled, as they moved homeward. I can see how it is going to turn out, because a few stray curs have chased or killed sheep now and then. Every decent dog is under suspicion as a sheep-killer. If one of Romaine's weathers gets a scratch on its leg from a bramble, Lad will be blamed. If one of the mongrels from over in the village should chase his sheep, Lad will be accused, and will be in the first neighborhood squabble of our lives. The master spoke with a pessimism his wife did not share, in which he himself did not really believe. The folk at the place had always lived in good fellowship and peace with their few rural neighbors, as well as with the several hundred inhabitants of the mile-distant village across the lake. And, though livestock is the foundation of ninety rustic feuds out of ninety-one, the dogs of the place had never involved their owners in any such row. Yet, barely three days later, Titus Romaine bore down upon the place, before breakfast, breathing threatenings and complaining of slaughter. He was waiting on the veranda in blasphemous converse with the place's foreman, when the master came out. At Titus's heels stood his hired man, a huge and sullen person named Schwartz, who possessed a scarce conquered accent that fitted the name. "'Well,' orated Romaine, in glum greeting, as he cited the master, "'well, I guessed right. He done it after all. He done it. We all but caught him red-handed. Got away with four of my best sheep. Four of them. The cur.' "'What are you talking about?' demanded the master, as the mistress, drawn by the visitor's plangent tones, joined the veranda group. "'About that ugly big dog of yourn,' answered Romaine. "'I knew what he'd do if he got the chance. I knew it. When I saw him running my poor sheep last week, I warned you then, the two of you, and now he's done it.' "'Done what?' insisted the master impatient of the man's noise and fury. "'What dog?' asked the mistress at the same time. "'Are you talking about Lad? If you are—' "'I'm talking about your big brown collie cur,' snorted Titus. "'He's gone and killed four of my best sheep. Did it in the night, and early this morning. My man here caught him at the last of em, and drove him off, just as he was finishing the poor critter. He got away with the rest of em. Nonsense, denied the master. You're talking rot. Lad wouldn't touch a sheep, and that's what all folks say when their dogs or their children is charged with doing wrong, scoffed Romaine. But this time it won't do no good to— You say this happened last night? interposed the mistress. Yes, it did. Last night and early in the morning, too. Schwartz here. But Lad sleeps in the house every night objected the mistress. He sleeps under the piano, in the music-room. He has slept there every night since he was a puppy. The maid who dusts the downstairs rooms before breakfast lets him out. She begins work. So he— Bolster it up any way you like, broke in Romaine. He was out last night, all right, and early this morning, too. How early? questioned the master. Five o'clock— volunteered Schwartz, speaking up from behind his employer. I know, because that's the time I get up. I went out, first thing, to open the barnyard gate, 
and drive the sheep to the pasture. First thing I saw was that big dog growling over a sheep he'd just killed. He saw me, and he wiggled out through the barnyard bars. Some way he had got in. Then I counted the sheep. One was dead, the one he had just killed, and three were gone. We've been looking for their bodies ever since, and we can't find them. I suppose Lad swallowed them, ironically put in the places foreman. That makes about as much sense as the rest of the yarn. The old dog would no sooner... Do you really mean to say you saw Lad, saw and recognized him in Mr. Titus's barnyard, growling over a sheep he had just killed? demanded the mistress. I sure do, affirmed Schwartz, and I... And he's ready to go on the stand and take oath to it, supplemented Titus, unless you'll pay me the damages out of court. Them sheep cost me exactly twelve dollars and ten cents a head, in the Patson market, one week ago. And sheep on the hoof has gone up a full forty cents more since then. You owe me for them four sheep exactly. I owe you not one red cent, denied the master. I hate law worse than I hate measles, but I'll fight that idiotic claim all the way up to the appellate division before I'll— The mistress lifted a little silver whistle that hung at her belt and blew it. An instant later, Lad came galloping gaily up the lawn from the lake, a drip with water from his morning swim. Straight at the mistress's summons he came and stood, expectant, in front of her, oblivious of others. The great dog's mahogany and snow coat shone wetly in the sunshine. Every line of his splendid body was tense. His eyes looked up into the face of the loved mistress in eager anticipation. For a whistle-call usually involved some matter of more than common interest. "'That's the dog!' cried Schwartz, his thick voice betraying a shade more of its half-lost German accent in the excitement of the minute. "'That's the one! He has washed off the blood!' But that is the one. I could know him anywhere at all, and I know him already, and Mr. Romaine told me to be looking out for him, about the sheep, too, so I— The master had bent over Lad, examining the dog's mouth. Not a trace of blood or of wool, he announced. And look how he faces us, if he had anything to be ashamed of. I got a witness to prove he killed my sheep, cut in Romaine. Since you won't be honest enough to square the case out of court, then the law'll take a tuck in your wallet for you. The law'll look after a poor man's interest. I don't wonder there's folks who want all dogs done way with pesky curs. Here, the papers say we are short on sheep, and they beg us to raise em because mutton is worth double what it used to be in open market. Then, when I buy sheep, on that say-so, your dog gets four of em the very first week. Think what them four sheep would have meant to— I'm sorry you lost them, the master interrupted, mighty sorry. And I'm still sorrier if there is a sheep-killing dog at large anywhere in this region. But Lad never— I tell ye, he did, stormed Titus. I got proof of it. Proof good enough for any court. And the court is going to see me righted. It's going to do more. It's going to make you shoot that killer there, too. I know the law. I looked it up, and the law says if a sheep-killing dog— Lad is not a sheep-killing dog, flashed the mistress. That's what he is, 
snarled Romaine. And by law he'll be shot as such. He— Take your case to law, then, retorted the master, whose last shred of patience went by the board at the threat. And take it, and yourself off my place. Lad doesn't run sheep. But, at the word from me, he'll ask nothing better than to run you and your German every step of the way to your own woodshed. Clear out! He and the mistress watched the two irately mumbling intruders plod out of sight up the drive. Lad, at the master's side, viewed the accuser's departure with sharp interest. Schooled in reading the human voice, he had listened alertly to the master's speech of dismissal, and, as the dog listened, his teeth had come slowly into view from beneath a menacingly upcurled lip. His eyes, half shut, had been fixed on Titus with an expression that was not pretty. "'Oh, dear!' sighed the mistress miserably, as she and her husband turned indoors and made their way toward the breakfast-room. "'You were right about good old Mr. Trouble dropping in on us. Isn't it horrible? But it makes my blood boil to think of Laddie being accused of such a thing. It is crazily absurd, of course. But—' "'Absurd!' the master caught her up. "'It's the most absurd thing I ever heard of. If it was about any other dog than Lad, it would be good for a laugh.' I mean, Romaine's charge of the dogs doing away with no less than four sheep, and not leaving a trace of more than one of them. That alone would get his case left out of court. I remember, once in Scotland, I was stopping with some people whose shepherd complained that three of the sheep had fallen victim to a killer. We all went up to the moor pasture to look at them. They weren't a pretty sight, but they were all there. A dog doesn't devour a sheep he kills. He doesn't even lug it away. Instead, he just— Perhaps you'd rather describe it after breakfast, suggested the mistress hurriedly. This wretched business has taken away all of my appetite that I can comfortably spare. At about mid-morning of the next day, the master was summoned to the telephone. This is McClay, said the voice at the far end. Why, hello, Mac, responded the master mildly wondering why his old fishing crony the village's local peace justice should be calling him up at such an hour if you're going to tell me this is a good day for small mouth bass to bite i'm going to tell you it isn't it isn't because i'm up to my neck in work besides it's too late for the morning fishing and too early for the bass to get up their afternoon appetites <laughs> so don't try to tempt me into hold on broke in mcclay I'm not calling you up for that. I'm calling you up on business. Rotten, unpleasant business, too. What's wrong? asked the master. I'm hoping Titus Romaine is, said the justice. He's just been here, with his North Prussian hired man as witness, to make a complaint about your dog lad. Yes, and to get a court order to have the old fellow shot, too. What? sputtered the master. He hasn't actually— That's just what he's done, said McClay. He claims Lad killed four of his new sheep night before last, and four more of them this morning or last night. Schwartz swears he caught Lad at the last of the killed sheep both times. It's hard luck, old man, and I feel as bad about it as if it were my own dog. You know how strong I am for Lad. He's the greatest collie I've ever known. 
but the law is clear in such you speak as if you thought lad was guilty flamed the master you ought to know better than that he schwartz tells a straight story answered mcclay sadly and he tells it under oath he swears he recognized lad first time he says he volunteered to watch in the barnyard last night he had had a hard day's work and he fell asleep while he was on watch he says he woke up in gray dawn to find the whole flock in a turmoil and lad pinning one of the sheep to the ground he had already killed three schwartz drove him away three of the sheep were missing one lad had just downed was dying romaine swears he saw lad running his sheep last week it what did you do about the case asked the day's master i told them to be at the courtroom at three this afternoon with the bodies of the two dead sheep that aren't missing and that i'd notify you to be there too oh i'll be there snapped the master don't worry and it was decent of you to make them wait the whole thing is ridiculous it of course went on mcclay either side can easily appeal from any decision i make that is as regards damages but by the township's new sheep laws i'm sorry to say there isn't any appeal from the local justice's decree that a sheep-killing dog must be shot at once the law leaves me no option if i consider a dog guilty of sheep-killing i have to order such a dog put to death at once that's what's making me so blue i'd rather lose a year's pay than have to order old lad killed you won't have to declared the master stoutly albeit he was beginning to feel a nasty sinking in the vicinity of his stomach we'll manage to prove him innocent i'll stake anything you like on that talk the case over with dick colfax or any other good lawyer before three o'clock suggested mcclay there may be a legal loophole out of the muddle i hope to the lord there is we're not going to crawl out through any loopholes lad and i returned the master we're going to come through clean see if we don't leaving the telephone he went in search of the mistress and more and more disheartened told her the story the worst of it is he finished romaine and schwartz seem to have made mcclay believe their full yarn that is because they believe it themselves said the mistress and because just as soon as even the most sensible man is made a judge he seems to lose all his common sense and intuition and become nothing but a walking statute book but you think for a moment do you that they can persuade judge mcclay to have lad shot she spoke with a little quiver in her sweet voice that roused all the master's fighting spirit this place is going to be in a state of siege against the entire law and militia of new jersey he announced before one bullet goes into lad you can put your mind to rest on that but that isn't enough i want to clear him in these days of conservation and scarcity it is a grave offence to destroy any meat animal and the loss of eight sheep in two days in a district where there has been such an effort made to revive sheep raising didn't you say they claim the second lot of sheep were killed in the night and at dawn just as they said the first were interposed the mistress why yes but then said the mistress much more comfortably we can prove lad's alibi just as i said yesterday we could marie always lets him out in the morning 
when he comes downstairs to dust these lower rooms. She's never down before six o'clock. And the sun nowadays rises long before that. Schwartz says he saw Lad both times in the early dawn. We can prove, by Marie, that Lad was safe here in the house till long after sunrise. Her worried frown gave way to a smile of positive inspiration. The master's own darkling face cleared. Good, he approved. I think that cinches it. Marie's been with us for years. Her word is certainly as good as a Boche farmhand's. Even McClay's judicial temperament will have to admit that. Send her in here, won't you? When the maid appeared at the door of the study a minute later, the master opened the examination with the solemn air of a legal veteran. You are the first person down here in the mornings, aren't you, Marie? he began. Why, yes, sir, replied the wondering maid. Yes, always, except when you get up early to go fishing, or when— What time do you get down here in the mornings? pursued the master. Along about six o'clock, sir, mostly, said the maid, bridling a bit as if scenting a criticism of her work hours. Not earlier than six? asked the master. No, sir, said Marie uncomfortably. Of course, if that's not early enough, I suppose I could. Oh, it's quite early enough, vouchsafed the master. There is no complaint about your hours. You always let Lad out as soon as you come into the music room? Yes, sir, she answered. As soon as I get downstairs. Those were the orders, you remember. The master breathed a silent sigh of relief. The maid did not get downstairs until six. The dog, then, could not get out of the house until that hour. If Schwartz had seen any dog in the Romaine barnyard at daybreak, it assuredly was not Lad. Yet, racking his brain, the master could not recall any other dog in the vicinity that bore even the faintest semblance to his giant collie, and he fell to recalling, from his happy memories of Bob, son of battle, that killers often travel many miles from home to sate their mania for sheep slaying. In any event, it was no concern of his if some distant collie, drawn to the slaughter by the queer sixth collie sense, was killing Romaine's new flock of sheep. Lad was cleared. The maid's very evidently true testimony settled that point. Yes, sir, rambled on Marie, beginning to take a faint interest in the examination, now that it turned upon Lad, whom she loved. Yes, sir. Laddie always comes out from under his piano the minute he hears my step in the hall outside, and he always comes right up to me and wags that big plume of a tail of his, and falls into step alongside of me, and walks over to the front door, right beside me all the way. He knows as much as many a human, that dog does, sir. Encouraged by the master's approving nod, the maid ventured to enlarge still further upon the theme. It always seems as if he was welcoming me downstairs like, she resumed, and glad to see me. I've really missed him quite bad these past few mornings. The approving look on the master's face gave way to a glare of utter blankness. This past few mornings? he repeated blitheringly. What do you mean? Why? she returned, flustered afresh by the quick change in her interlocutor's manner. Ever since those French windows are left open for the night, same as they always are when the hot weather starts in, you know, sir. Since then, Laddie don't wait for me to let him out. When he wakes up, 
he just goes out himself he used to do that last year too sir he thanks muttered the master dizzily that's all thanks left alone he sat slumped low in his chair trying to think he was as calmly convinced as ever of his dog's innocence but he had staked everything on marie's court testimony and now that testimony was rendered worse than worthless crankily he cursed his own fresh-air mania which had decreed that the long windows on the ground floor be left open on summer nights with lad on duty the house was as safe from successful burglary in spite of these open windows as if guarded by a squad of special policemen and the night air sweeping through kept it pleasantly cool against the next day's heat for this same coolness a heavy price was now due presently the days of disappointment passed leaving the master pulsing with a wholesome fighting anger rapidly he revised his defence and with the mistress's far clever aid made ready for the afternoon's ordeal he scouted mcclay's suggestion of hiring counsel and vowed to handle the defence himself carefully he and his wife went over their proposed line of action peace justice mcclay's court was held daily in a rambling room on an upper floor of the village's odd fellows hall the proceedings there were generally marked by shrewd sanity rather than by any effort at formalism mcclay himself sat at a battered little desk at the room's far end his clerk using a corner of the same desk for the scribbling of his sketchy notes in front of the desk was a rather long deal table with kitchen chairs round it here plaintiffs and defendants and prisoners and witnesses and lawyers were wont to sit with no order of precedent or of other formality several other chairs were ranged irregularly along the wall to accommodate any overflow of the table's occupants promptly at three o'clock that afternoon the mistress and the master entered the courtroom close at the mistress's side though held by no leash paced lad mcclay and romaine and schwartz were already on hand so were the clerk and the constable and one or two idle spectators at a corner of the room wrapped in burlap were huddled the bodies of the two slain sheep lad caught the scent of the victims the instant he set foot in the room and he sniffed vibrantly once or twice titus romaine his eyes fixed scowlingly on the dog noted this and he nudged Schwartz in the ribs to call the German's attention to it. Lad turned aside in fastidious disgust from the bumpy burlap bundle. Seeing the judge and recognizing him as an old acquaintance, the collie wagged his plumed tail in gravely friendly greetings, and stepped forward for a pat on the head. Lad! called the mistress softly. At the word the dog paused midway to the embarrassed Maclay's desk, and obediently turned back the constable was drawing up a chair at the deal table for the mistress lad curled down beside her resting one snowy little forepaw protectingly on her slippered foot and the hearing began romaine repeated his account of the collie's alleged depredations starting with lad's first view of the sheep schwartz methodically retold his own story of twice witnessing the killing of sheep by the dog the master did not interrupt either narrative, though. On later questioning, he forced the sulkily truthful Romaine to admit he had not actually seen Lad chase the sheep flock that morning on Mount Pisgah, but had merely seen the sheep running, 
and the dog standing at the hill-foot looking upward at their scattering flight. Both the mistress and the master swore that the dog on that occasion had made no move to pursue or otherwise harass the sheep. Thus did Lad win one point in the case. But, in view of the after-crimes wherewith he was charged, the point was of decidedly trivial value. Even if he had not attacked the flock on his first view of them, he was accused of killing no less than eight of their number on two later encounters. And Schwartz was an eye-witness to this. Schwartz, whose testimony was as clear and as simple as daylight. With a glance of apology at the mistress, Judge McClay ordered the sheep carcasses taken from their burlap cerements and laid on the table for court inspection. While he and Schwartz arranged the grisly exhibits for the judge's view, Titus Romaine expatiated loudly on the value of the murdered sheep, and on the brutally useless wastage in their slaying. The master said nothing, but he bent over each of his sheep, carefully studying the throat wounds. At last he straightened himself up from his task, and broke in on Romaine's Antony-like funeral oration by saying quietly, your honor these sheep's throats were not cut by a dog neither by lad nor by any killer look for yourself i've seen dog killed sheep these wounds were not at all like those not killed by a dog hey loudly scoffed romaine i s'pose they was chewed by lightnin then or maybe they was bit by a skeeter huh they were not bitten at all countered the master still less were they chewed look those gashes are ragged enough but they are as straight as if they were made by a machine if ever you have seen a dog worry a piece of meat rubbish grunted titus you talk like a fool the sheep's throats is torn schwartz senior cur tire em. that's all there is to it whether he tore em straight whether he tore em crooked don't count in law he tore em and i got a reliable witness to prove it your honor said the master suddenly may i interrogate the witness mcclay nodded the master turned to schwartz who faced him in stolid composure schwartz began the master you say it was light enough for you to recognize the sheep-killing dog both mornings in romaine's barnyard how near to him did you get schwartz pondered for a second then made careful answer first time i ran into the barnyard from the house side and your dog cut and run out of it from the far side when he saw me making for him that time i don't think i got within thirty feet of him but i was near enough to see him plain and i'd seen him often enough before on the road or in your car so i knew him all right the next time this morning judge i was within five feet of him or even nearer for I was near enough to hit him with the stick I just picked up, and to land a kick on his ribs as he started away. I saw him then as plain as I see you, and nearer than I am to you, and the light was most good enough to read by, too. Yes, queried the master. If I remember rightly, you told Judge McClay that you were on watch last night in the cowshed, just alongside the barnyard, where the sheep were, and you fell asleep and woke just in time to see a dog to see your dog corrected schwartz to see a dog growling over a squirming and bleeding sheep he had pulled down 
how far away from you was he when you awoke just outside the cowshed door not six feet from me i ups with the stick i had with me and ran out at him and were he and his sheep making much noise between em they was making enough racket to wake a dead man replied schwartz what with your dogs snarling and growling and the poor sheep's blats and all the other sheep yet you say he had killed three sheep while you slept there had killed them and carried or dragged their bodies away and come back again and presumably started a noisy panic in the flock every time and none of that racket waked you until the fourth sheep was killed i was dog-tired declared schwartz i'd been at work in our south mowing for ten hours the day before and up since five mr romaine can tell you i'm a hard man to wake at best i sleep like the dead that's right assented titus time and again i have to bang at his door and holler myself hoarse before i can get him to open his eyes my wife says he's the sleepinest sleeper you ran out of the shed with your stick resumed the master and struck the dog before he could get away and as he turned to run you kicked him yes sir that's what i did how hard did you hit him a pretty good lick answered schwartz with reminiscent satisfaction then i and when you hit him he slunk away like a whipped cur he made no move to resent it i mean he did not try to attack you not him asserted schwartz i guess he was glad enough to get out of reach he slunk away so fast i hardly had a chance to land fair on him when i kicked here is my riding crop said the master take it please and strike lad with it just as you struck him or the sheep killing dog with your stick just as hard lad has never been struck except once unjustly by me years ago he has never needed it but if he would slink away like a whipped mongrel when a stranger hits him the sooner he is beaten to death the better hit him exactly as you hit him this morning judge mcclay half opened his lips to protest he knew the love of the people of the place for lad and he wondered at this invitation to a farmhand to thrash the dog publicly he glanced at the mistress her face was calm even a little amused evidently the master's request did not horrify or surprise her schwartz's stubby fingers gripped the crop the master forced into his hand with true tectonic relish for pain inflicting he swung the weapon aloft and took a step toward the lazily recumbent collie striking with all his strength then with much increased speed schwartz took three steps backward for at the menace lad had leaped to his feet with the speed of a fighting wolf eluding the descending crop as it swished past him and launching himself straight for the wielder's throat he did not growl he did not pause he merely sprang for his assailant with a deadly ferocity that brought a cry from a clay the master caught the huge dog midway in his throatward flight down lad he ordered gently the collie obedient to the word 
stretched himself on the floor at the mistress's feet but he kept a watchful and right unloving eye on the man who had struck at him it's a bit odd isn't it suggested the master that he went for you like that just now when this morning he slunk away from your blow in cringing fear why wouldn't he growled schwartz his stolid nerve shaken up by the unexpected onslaught his folks are here to back him up and everything why wouldn't he go for me he was slinky enough when i wailed him this morning hmm mused the master you hit a strong blow schwartz i'll say that for you you missed lad with my crop but you've split the crop and you scored a visible mark on the wooden floor with it did you hit as hard as that when you struck the sheep killer this morning a sight harder responded schwartz my mad was up i a dog's skin is softer than a pine floor said the master your honor such a blow would have raised a wheel on lad's flesh an inch high would your honor mind passing in your hand over his body and trying to locate such a wheel this is all outside the point raged the annoyed titus romaine you're a dodging the issue i tell ye i if your honor please insisted the master the judge left his desk and whistled lad across to him the dog looked at his master doubtfully the master nodded the collie arose and walked in leisurely fashion over to the waiting judge mcclay ran an exploring hand through the magnificent tawny coat from head to haunch then along the dog's furry sides lad hated to be handled by anyone but the mistress or the master but at a soft word from the mistress he stood stock still and submitted to the inspection i find no wheel or any other mark on him presently reported the judge the mistress smiled happily the whole investigation up to this point and further was along eccentric lines she herself had thought out and had suggested to her husband lines suggested by her knowledge of lad schwartz went on the master interrupting another fuming outbreak from romaine i'm afraid you didn't quite hit as hard as you thought you did this morning or else some other dog is carrying around a big welt on his flesh to-day now for the kick you say you gave the collie i i won't copy that on your bloodthirsty dog vociferated schwartz not even if the judge jails me for contempt i won't he'd likely kill me and yet he ran from you this morning the master reminded him well i won't insist on your kicking lad but you say it was a light kick because he was running away when it landed i'm curious to know just how hard a kick it was in fact i'm so curious about it that i'm going to offer myself as a substitute for lad my riding boot is a good surface will you kindly kick me there schwartz as nearly as possible with the same force no more no less than you kick the dog i protest shouted romaine this measly tomfoolishness is if your honor please appealed the master sharply turning from the bewildered schwartz to the no less dismayed judge mcclay was on his feet to overrule so strange a request 
but there was keen supplication in the master's eye that made the judge pause mcclay glanced again at the mistress in spite of the prospect of seeing her husband kicked her face wore a most pleased smile the judge noted though that she was stroking lad's head and that she was unobtrusively turning that head so that the dog faced schwartz now then adjured the master whenever you're ready schwartz a german doesn't get a chance like this every day to kick an american and i'll promise not to go for your throat as laddie tried to kick away awkwardly shamblingly schwartz stepped forward urged on by his racial veneration for the law and perhaps not sorry to assail the man whose dog had tried to throttle him he drew back his brogand left foot and kicked out in the general direction of the calf of the master's thick riding boot the kick did not land not that the master dodged or blocked it he stood moveless and grinning expectantly but the courtroom shook with a wild beast yell a yell of insane fury and schwartz drew back his half-extended left foot in sudden terror as a great furry shape came whizzing through the air at him the sight of the half-delivered kick at his worshipped master it had precisely the effect on lad that the mistress had foreseen when she planned the manoeuvre almost any good dog will attack a man who seeks to strike its owner and lad seemed to comprehend that a kick is a more contemptuous affront than is a blow schwartz's kick at the master had thrown the adoring dog into a maniac rage against this defiler of his idol the memory of schwartz's blow at himself was as nothing to it it aroused in the collie's heart a deathless blood feud against the man as the mistress had known it would the mistress's sharp command and the master's hastily outflung arm barely sufficed to deflect lad's charge he writhed in their dual grasp snarling furiously his eyes red his every giant muscle strained to get at the cowering schwartz we've had enough of this imperatively ordained mcclay above the babble of titus romaine's protests in spite of the informality of hearing this is a court of law not a dog kennel i i crave your honour's pardon apologized the master i was merely trying to show that lad is not the sort of dog to let a stranger strike and kick him as this man claims to have done with impunity i think i have shown from lad's own regrettable actions that it was some other dog if any which cheered romaine's barnyard this morning and yesterday morning it was your dog cried schwartz getting his breath in a swirl of anger next time i'll be on watch with a shotgun and not a stick i'll there ain't going to be no next time asserted the equally angry romaine judge i call on you to order that sheep-killer shot and to order his master to indemnify me for the loss of my eight killed sheep your honor suavely protested the master may i ask you to listen to a counter-proposition a proposition which i think will be agreeable to mr romaine as well as to myself the only proposition i'll agree to is the shootin of that cur and the indemnifyin of me for my sheep persisted romaine mcclay waved his hand for order then turning to the master said state your proposition i propose began the master 
that lad be paroled in my custody for the space of twenty-four hours i will deposit with the court here and now my bond for the sum of one thousand dollars to be paid on demand to titus romaine if one or more of his sheep are killed by any dog during that space of time the crass oddity of the proposal set titus's leathery mouth ajar even the judge gasped aloud at his bizarre terms schwartz looked blank until little by little the purport of the words sank into his slow mind then he permitted himself the rare luxury of a chuckle do i understand you to say demanded titus romaine of the master that if i'll agree to hold up this case for twenty-four hours you'll give me one thousand dollars cash for any sheep of mine that gets killed by dogs in that time that is my proposition returned the master to cinch it i'll let you make out the written arrangement yourself and i'll give the court a bond for the money at once with instructions that the sum is to be paid to you if you lose one sheep through dogs in the next day i furthermore agree to shoot lad myself if you lose one or more sheep in that time and in that way i'll forfeit another thousand if i fail to keep that part of my contract how about it i agree exclaimed titus schwartz's smile by this time threatened to split his broad face across mcclay saw the mistress's cheek whiten a little but her aspect betrayed no worry over the possible loss of a thousand dollars and the far more painful loss of the dog she loved when romaine and schwartz had gone the master tarried a moment in the courtroom. "'I can't make out what you're driving at,' McClay told him. "'But you seem to me to have done a mighty foolish thing. To get a thousand dollars, Romaine is capable of scouring the whole country for a sheep-killing dog. So is Schwartz, if only to get Lad shot. Did you see the way Schwartz looked at Lad as he went out? He hates him.' "'Yes,' said the master. "'And I saw the way Lad looked at him.' lad will never forget that kick at me he'll attack schwartz for it if they come together a year from now that's why we arranged it say mac i want you to do me a big favor a favor that comes within the square and angle of your work i want you to go fishing with me tonight. better come over to dinner and be prepared to spend the night the fishing won't start till about twelve o'clock twelve o'clock echoed mcclay why man nothing but catfish will bite at that hour and i-you're mistaken denied the master much bigger fish will bite much bigger take my word for that my wife and i have it all figured out i'm not asking you in your official capacity but as a friend i'll need you mac it will be a big favor to me and if i'm not wrong there'll be sport in it for you too i'm risking a thousand dollars in my dog on this fishing trip won't you risk a night's sleep i ask it as a worthy and distressed uh, certainly assented the wholly perplexed judge impressed but i don't get your idea at all i-i'll explain it before we start promised the master all i want now is for you to commit yourself to the scheme if it fails you won't lose anything except your sleep thanks for saying you'll come at a little after ten o'clock that night the last light in titus romaine's farmhouse went out a few moments later the master got up from a rock on mount pisgah's summit on which he and mcclay had been sitting for the past hour 
Lad, at their feet, rose expectantly with them. "'Come on, old man,' said the master. "'We'll drop down there now. It'll probably mean a long wait for us. But it's better to be too soon than too late, when I've got so much staked. If we're seen, you can cut and run. Lad and I will cover your retreat, and see you aren't recognized. Steady there, lad. Keep at heel.' Stealthily the trio made their way down the hill to the farmstead at its farther base. Silently they crept along the outer fringe of the home lot, until they came opposite the black-gabled bulk of the barn. Presently their slowly cautious progress brought them to the edge of the barnyard, and to the rail fence which surrounds it. There they halted. From within the yard, as the huddle of drowsy sheep caught the scent of the dog, came a slight stirring but after a moment the yard was quiet again get that whispered the master his mouth close to mcclay's ear those sheep are supposed to have been raided by a killer dog for the past two nights yet the smell of a dog doesn't even make them bleat if they had been attacked by any dog last night the scent of lad would throw them into a panic i get something else too replied mcclay in the same all but soundless whisper and I'm ashamed I didn't think of it before. Romaine said the dog wriggled into the yard through the bars, and out again the same way. Well, if those bars were wide enough apart for an eighty-pound collie like Lad to get through, what would there be to prevent all these sheep from escaping? The same way, any time they wanted to. I'll have a look at those bars before I pass judgment on the case. I begin to be glad you and your wife coerced me into this adventure. "'Of course the sheep could have gotten through the same bars that the dog did,' answered the master. "'For, didn't Romaine say the dog not only got through, but dragged three dead sheep through after him each night, and hid them somewhere where they couldn't be found? No man would keep sheep in a pen as open as all that. The entire story is full of air-holes.' Lad, at a touch from his master, had lain softly down at the men's feet, beside the fence. And so, for another full hour, the three waited there. The night was heavily overcast, and, except for the low drone of distant tree toads and crickets, it was deathly silent. Heat lightning, once in a while, played dimly along the western horizon. "'Lucky for us that Romaine doesn't keep a dog,' whispered Maclay. "'He'd have raised the alarm before we got within a hundred yards of here. "'He told my foreman he gave his mongrel dog away.' when he stocked himself with sheep. And he's been reading a lot of rot about dogs being non-utilitarian, too. His dog would have been anything but non-utilitarian tonight. A touch on the sleeve from Maclay silenced the rambling whisper. Through the stillness, a house door shut very softly, not far away. An instant later, Lad growled throatily, and got to his feet, tense and fiercely eager. He's caught Schwartz's scent whispered the master exultantly. Now, maybe you understand why I made the man try to kick me. Down, lad, quiet. At the stark command in the master's whisper, lad dropped to earth again, though he still rumbled deeply in his throat, until a touch from the master's fingers and the repeated quiet silenced him. The hush of the night was disturbed once more very faintly. This time, by the muffled padding of a man's bare feet, drawing closer to the barnyard. Lad, as he heard it, made as if to rise. The master tapped him lightly on the head, 
and the dog sank to the ground again, quivering with hard-held rage. The clouds had piled thicker. Only by a dim pulsing of faraway heat-lightning could the watchers discern the shadowy outline of a man, moving silently between them and the far side of the yard. By the tiny glow of lightning they saw his silhouette. By Lad's almost uncontrollable trembling they knew who he must be. There was another drowsy stirring of the sheep, checked by the reassuring mumble of a voice the animal seemed to know, and, except for the stealthy motion of groping feet, the barnyard seemed as empty of human life as before. Perhaps a minute later another sulphur gleam of lightning revealed the intruder to the two men who crouched behind the outer angle of the fence. He had come out of the yard and was shuffling away but he was fully a third wider of shoulder now, and he seemed to have two heads, as his silhouette dimly appeared and then vanished. "'See that?' whispered the master. "'He has a sheep slung over his back, probably with a cloth wrapped around its head to keep it quiet. We will give him twenty seconds start, and then—' "'Good!' babbled McClay, in true buck-og fever of excitement. "'It worked out to a charm!' but how in the blazes can we track him through this dark it's as black as the inside of a cow and if we show the flashlights trust lad to track him rejoined the master who had been slipping a leash around the dog's low growling throat that's what the old fellow's here for he has a kick to punish he would follow schwartz through the sahara desert if he had to come on lad at a word from the master sprang to the end of the leash his mighty head and shoulders straining forward. The master's reiterated quiet alone kept him from giving tongue. Thus the trio started the pursuit. Lad went in a geometrically straight line, swerving not an inch, with much more difficulty, held back to the slow walk on which the master insisted. There was more than one reason for this insistence. Not only did the two men want to keep far enough behind Schwartz to prevent him from hearing their careful steps, but Lad's course was so uncompromisingly straight that it led them over a hundred obstacles and gullies which required all sorts of skill to negotiate. For at least two miles the snail-like progress continued, most of the way through woods. At last, with a gasp, the master found himself wallowing knee-deep in a bog. McClay, a step behind him, also plunged splashingly into the soggy mire. "'What's the matter with the dog?' grumpily demanded the judge. He's led us into the Pancake Hollow Swamp. Schwartz never in the world carried a ninety-pound sheep through here. Maybe not, puffed the master, but he has carried it over one of the half-dozen paths that lead through this marsh. Lad is in too big a hurry to bother about paths. He— Fifty feet above them, on a little mid-swamp knoll, a lantern shone. Apparently, it had just been lighted, for it waxed brighter in a second or so. The men saw it, and strode forward at top speed. The third step caused McClay to stumble over a hummock, and land noisily on all fours in a mud-pool. As he fell, he swore, with a loud distinctness that rang through the swampy stillness like a pistol-shot. Instantly the lantern went out, and there was a crashing in among the bushes of the knoll. "'After him!' yelled McClay, floundering to his feet. "'He'll escape, and we have no real proof who he is, or—' The master, still ankle-high in sticky mud, saw the futility of trying to catch a man who, unimpeded, was running away along a dry ground path. 
There was but one thing left to do, and the master did it. Loosening the leash from the dog's collar, he shouted, Get him, laddie, get him! There was a sound as of a cavalry regiment galloping through shallow water. That, and a queerly ecstatic growl, and the collie was gone. As fast as possible, the two men made for the base of the knoll. They had drawn forth their electric torches, and these now made the progress much swifter and easier. Nevertheless, before the master had set foot on the first bit of firm ground, all pandemonium burst forth amid the darkness, above and in front of him. The turmoil's multiple sounds were indescribable, blending into one wild cacophony the yells and stamping of a fear-demented man, the bleats of sheep, the tearing of underbrush, through and above and under all, a hideous subnote as of a rabid beast worrying its prey. It was this undercurrent of sound which put wings on the tired feet of Maclay and the master, as they dashed up the knoll and into the path leading east from it. It spoke of unpleasant, not to say gruesome, happenings. So did the swift change of the victim's yells from wrath to mortal terror. "'Back, lad!' called the master, pantingly, as he ran. "'Back! Let him alone!' And as he cried, the command he rounded a turn in the wooded path. Prone on the ground, writhing like a cut snake, and frantically seeking to guard his throat with his slashed forearm, sprawled Schwartz, crouching above him, right unwillingly obeying the master's belated call, was Lad. The dog's great coat was a bristle, his bare teeth glinted white and blood flecked in the electric flare. His soft eyes were blazing. "'Back!' repeated the master. "'Back here!' Absolute obedience was the first and foremost of the place's few simple dog rules. Lad had learned it from earliest puppyhood. The collie, still shaking all over with the effort of repressing his fury, turned slowly and came over to his master. There he stood stonily awaiting further orders. McClay was on his knees beside the hysterically moaning German, roughly telling him that the dog would do him no more damage, and at the same time making a quick inspection of the injuries wrought by the slashing white fangs in the shielding arm in its shoulder. "'Get up,' he now ordered. "'You're not too badly hurt to stand. Another minute, and he'd have gotten through to your throat.' but your clothes saved you from anything worse than a few ugly flesh-cuts. Get up! Stop that yowling, and get up! Schwartz gradually lessened his dolorous plaints under the stern authority of Maclay's exhortations. Presently he sat up, and nursing his lacerated forearm, and staring about him. At sight of Lad he shuddered, and recognizing Maclay, he broke into violent and fatly accented speech. "'Take witness, Judge!' he exclaimed, I watched the barnyard to-night, and I saw that Schweinhund steal another sheep. I followed him, and when he got here he dropped the sheep and went for me. He— Very bad, Schwartz, disgustedly reproved Maclay. Very bad indeed. You should have waited a minute longer and thought up a better one. But since this is the yarn you choose to tell, we'll look about and try to verify it. The sheep, for instance— the one you say lad carried all the way here, and then dropped to attack you. I seem to have heard a sheep bleeding a few moments ago. Several sheep, in fact. We'll see if we can't find the one lad stole. Schwartz jumped nervously to his feet. Stay where you are, McClay bade him. We won't bother a tired, 
an injured man to help in our search. Turning to the master, he added, I suppose one of us will have to stand guard over him, while the other one hunts up the sheep. Shall I? Neither of us need do that, said the master. Lad? The collie started eagerly forward, and Schwartz started still more eagerly backward. Watch him, commanded the master. Watch him. It was an order Lad had learned to follow in the many times when the mistress and the master had left him to guard the car or to do sentry duty over some other article of value. He understood. He would have preferred to deal with this enemy according to his own lights, but the master had spoken. So, standing at view, the collie looked longingly at Schwartz's throat. Keep perfectly still, the master warned the prisoner, and perhaps he won't go for you. Move, and he most surely will. Watch him, laddie. McClay and the master left the captive in his guard and set forth on a flashlight-illumined tour of the knoll. It was a desolate spot, far back in the swamp, and more than a mile from any road, a place visited not three times a year, except in the shooting season. In less than half a minute, the plaintive baa of a sheep guided the searchers to the left of the knoll, where stood a thick birch and alder copse. Around this they circled until they reached a narrow opening, where the branch ends, several feet above ground, were flecked with hanks of wool. Scrumming through the aperture in single file, the investigators found what they sought. In the tight-woven copse's center was a small clearing. In this was a rudely waddled pen some nine feet square, and in the pen were bunched six sheep. An occasional scared bleat from deeper in the copse told the whereabouts of the sheep Schwartz had taken from the barnyard that night, and which he had dropped at Lad's onslaught before he could put it in the pen. On the ground, just outside the enclosure, lay the smashed lantern. "'Sheep on the hoof are worth twelve-fifty per at the Patterson Market,' mused the master aloud, as McClay blinked owlishly at the treasure trove. "'There are seventy-five dollars' worth of sheep in that pen, and there would have been three or more of them before morning if we hadn't butted in on Herr Schwartz's overtime labors. To get three sheep at night was well worth his while to switch suspicion to Lad.' by killing a fourth sheep every time, and mangling its throat with a stripping knife. Only he mangled it too efficiently. There was too much culture about the mangling. It wasn't ragged enough. That's what first gave me my idea. That, and the way the missing sheep always vanished into more or less thin air. You see, he probably— But, sputtered McClay, why four each night? Why— "'You saw how long it took him to get one of them here,' replied the master. "'He didn't dare to start until the Romains were asleep, "'and he had to be back in time to catch Lad at the slaughter "'before Titus got out of bed. "'He wouldn't dare hide them any nearer home. "'Titus has spent most of his time both days in hunting for them. "'Schwartz was probably waiting to get the pen nice and full. "'Then he'd take a day off to visit his relatives, "'and he'd round up this tidy bunch and drive them over to the Ridgewood Road.' through the woods, and so on to the Patterson Market. It was a pretty little scheme all around. But, urged McClay, as they turned back to where Lad still kept his avid vigil, I still hold you were taking big chances and gambling one thousand dollars, and your dog's life, that Schwartz would do the same thing again within twenty-four hours. He might have waited a day or two till— No, contradicted the master. 
that's just what he mightn't do you see i wasn't perfectly sure whether it was schwartz or romaine or both who were mixed up in this so i set the trap at both ends if it was romaine it was worth one thousand dollars to him to have more sheep killed within twenty-four hours if it was schwartz well that's why i made him try to hit lad and why i made him try to kick me the dog went for him both times and that was enough to make schwartz want him killed for his own safety as well as for revenge so he was certain to arrange another killing within the twenty-four hours if only to force me to shoot lad he couldn't steal or kill sheep by daylight i picked the only hours he could do it in if he'd gotten lad killed he'd probably have invented another sheep killer dog to help him swipe the rest of the flock or until romaine decided to do the watching we it was clever of you cordially admitted mcclay mighty clever old man i it was my wife who worked it out you know the master reminded him i admit my own cleverness of course only like a lot of men's money it's all in my wife's name come on lad you can guard herr schwartz just as well by walking behind him we're going to wind up the evening's fishing trip by tendering a surprise party to dear genial old mr titus romaine i hope the flashlights will hold out long enough for me to get a clear look at his face when he sees us end of chapter ten recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida